Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for December 20th, 2017, nearing on Christmas, almost at the new year. And for this slate, uh, Matt and I have 12 games to talk about, so I'll bring this up whenever we have slates this large. There's no need to dig for plays when there's 12 games on the slate. I think you could really just limit your player pool to the guys you know they're going to have significant roles, you know we're going to have big minutes. Because with 12 games, you just don't need to reach for a kind of fringy play because there's going to be enough good plays on the slate. So starting with the Toronto at Charlotte game. For Toronto, we have Serge Ibaka is questionable with a knee injury. If he can't play, then it's probably going to mean some extra minutes for Jonas Valanciunas. In terms of the Lowry versus DeRozan situation, Charlotte is much worse guarding point guards than they are at guarding shooting guards. Yes, yeah, that's correct. The worst guarding point guards and shooting guards, so I think Lowry is the preferred play over to Rosen. And then from the Charlotte side of the game, I just kind of think it's a lot of fair pricing. It's a tough matchup against Toronto. Toronto is actually, let's see, sixth in the NBA in defensive efficiency. So Charlotte, to me, not good targets for the slate. And then from Toronto, no real strong targets, but if Ibaka's is out, I think that Jonas Valanciunas is in play because he's been playing upwards of 30 minutes recently. And he is somebody who scores over a fantasy point per minute. Well, if Serge Ibaka doesn't play, I think that maybe doesn't make the Raptors too much worse defensively, but it does open up more scoring potential in the game because Toronto has gone with a few small ball starting lineups since Ibaka's been out. I think CJ Miles or OG, they, they were the three and four in the last game of the starting lineup. So it is a smaller lineup with more scoring. Uh, the over-under for the game has already started to rise, maybe because of that Ibaka effect to some degree. It was at 210.5, now it's at 212. Uh, so maybe the game becomes more stackable if Ibaka doesn't play. There's more value for Valanchunas. There's probably some interest that you could have in the Charlotte side, but if Ibaka's there, I think it's just probably Kyle Lowry that ends up being a decent play, and I don't think anyone else. All right, next game, Miami at Boston. Generally, I don't like to play teams against Boston just because Boston is the best defensive team in the league. But with that said, there is some value still in the Miami front court just because Hassan Whiteside is still out, James Johnson's still out, I think for at least another week. So we have Goran Dragic missed last game with elbow soreness. He said today that he is going to play tomorrow, except he still has a lot of pain in the elbow, so he said he's not going to be at 100%. So he is absolutely out of play. My favorite play on Miami is... Probably going to be Bam Idebayo. He's at 4,600 now. And he started last game, played 30 minutes, and he was pretty good. He scored let's see, 31 fantasy points. He had a double double. And as a starter this year, he's scoring 20 uh, fantasy points per game in 25 minutes. And he figures to play 30 plus minutes as long as he stays out of foul trouble. Then Jordan Mickey at 3,700. I think that he's an okay value play, but not somebody. That is an absurd amount of value, but I would I would expect him to exceed value at that price point because he also averages over a fantasy point per minute, and he probably plays about 25 minutes or so in this matchup. From the Boston side of the game, Boston usually doesn't really have a ton of upside just because they have a lot of guys who are good players and the production's a little spread out. But I do think with Goran Dragic playing at less than 100%, I think that's a matchup that Kyrie Irving could really take advantage of. Irving's one of the most difficult players to guard in the league, and the idea that Drogic is going to be playing injured, I think that makes a really tough cover for him on Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I think so too. I think Irving's in play. Um, do you think that Tyler Johnson or Deion Waiters ends up getting 
more minutes than usual because Drogic is limited in terms of minutes? Or do you think he just is playing hurt and maybe playing less than 100% but still gets his full workload? Because I think there could be some other guys from the Heat to use. Bam and then uh, Jordan Mickey are the obvious value plays, but maybe there's some value in the backcourt too if Drogic just doesn't play a lot of minutes. Yeah, I still think... I still think that Drogic will be able to play his regular amount of minutes. The other thing, too, is Drogic doesn't really play a ton. So over the last month, he's playing about 28 minutes per game. So at, at 28 minutes, it, it's not like we're going to look at him and say, like, oh, he's only going to play 20 minutes tonight. So if he's playing his regular amount of 28 minutes, which isn't a huge amount, then there's not really anything to be gained by guys like Josh Richardson or Deion Waiters. Yeah, and Deion Waiters and Tyler, Tyler Johnson have also been priced up since last game. I think the prices came out before there was an expectation. And it's a tough matchup. Yeah, and I think these prices came out before there was an expectation that Drogic might not play. So they're priced up for a worse matchup than they had against the Hawks. They might be a little chalky because they all performed so well last game, but I think you could probably just stick to the front court and then probably just Kyrie Irving from the Celtics side. All right, so next game, Kings at Nets. In theory, this is a really good game because these are just two really shitty defenses. It's just kind of hard to figure out who's going to play minutes for both these teams. It could be a little easier for the Kings tomorrow because George Hill missed tonight's game with an illness. So there's a chance that he doesn't play tomorrow. And then we also have De'Aaron Fox left tonight's game with a quad injury. And he missed last game with the quad injury and then came back and I guess got re-injured at some point during the game. So I think it's very unlikely he doesn't play tomorrow. If George Hill also doesn't play, then I think we could be looking at a lot of minutes for Frank Mason or Garrett Temple played about 30 minutes tonight. Maybe Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's been starting, ends up playing more minutes. So if Hill and Fox are both out, I think there's going to be some value there. If it's just Fox who's out, then I think Hill is an okay play. Willie Cauley-Stein at 5,400. He's been starting playing about 30 minutes per game. I think it's a good spot for him against just a bad Nets team that plays really up pace. From the Nets side of the game, this is a good spot for the Nets too. The Kings don't play very fast, except it's a bad defense. This is also the tail end of a back-to-back for the Kings. I think Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is a decent play at 6,100. I think Spencer Dinwiddie is a good play at 6,700. Because let's see, what has he done? He's had actually a couple rough games in a row. So if you look at them, a lot of that's due to blowouts. They lost to the Pacers by a decent amount of points when they played 24 minutes. They lost by... Was it 33 points to the Raptors when they played 22 minutes? So last couple games, the minutes down, it's a little bit of a fluke for Dinwiddie. Before then, I mean, 50 fantasy points against the Knicks, 43 against the Wizards. He was on a stretch where he'd scored at least 29 fantasy points in, what is it, 9 of 10 games. So no real blowout risk in this game, and I think Dinwiddie is a, is a really strong play. And also Karis LeVert at 5,600. He has been playing more minutes lately. He's getting about 30 minutes per game. And for the season, he is right around a fantasy point per minute. So if we're going to get 30 minutes from him in a plus matchup, then that's around 30 fantasy points from him, which is a pretty good result at 5,600. Yeah, so the safe plays from this game, I think, are Cauley Stein, Hollis Jefferson, and then Dinwiddie. Those are the three players, I think, from these two teams that are seeing reliable minutes. If George Hill sits, I think there's also a decent boost to everyone because Hill plays, I guess, just generally at a slower pace. He kind of slows the game down more than De'Aaron Fox and probably also more than Frank Mason. So it could be a boost to Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, George Hill's also been a decent defender throughout his career. Kind of hard to say this year because he just seems like he's not trying ever. But I would think that his absence just makes the game a little more up-tempo. 
and the Nets are kind of underpriced and in a pretty decent spot anyway. So I think you could stack here. It's a lot easier to stack if uh, the Kings are missing one or both of their point guards, uh, with George Hill and Darren Fox both being questionable. But especially Hill being out, I think, makes the game overall just a better game. Uh, whatever the case is, though, I think Hollis Jefferson and Cauley Stein and probably Dinwiddie are all certainly in play. All right, next game, the Pacers at the Hawks. The Pacers also have one of the better matchups on the slate. The Pacers have gotten slammed by tough games recently. They have played the Celtics. They've played the Pistons. They've played OKC. And now they get a much easier matchup against the Hawks. So I think Victor Oladipo is a good play at 9,200. I think that I don't really like anybody else, I think. So <laughs> move on to the Atlanta side of the game. For Atlanta, where's Dennis Schroeder priced at now? Because Schroeder, this price was, yeah, so Schroeder's now at 7300 And a lot of it's just because he had a couple of, he had a weird stretch of games where he just didn't get a ton of minutes. He played 22 minutes against the Knicks, 27 minutes against the Cavs, and 28 minutes against the Pistons. The Pistons game was due to a blowout, but then the minutes came back. He played 37 minutes against the Grizzlies, scored 47 fantasy points, then played 35 minutes against the Heat last game and scored 38.5 fantasy points. So Dennis Schroeder at 7,300, I just think that's a bit too cheap for him because he was, I mean, two weeks ago, he was priced as high as 8,500. So eighty. So to see him $1,200 cheaper in a matchup against the Pacers, who are an up-paced team, which really benefits the play style of Dennis Schroeder. He's really good in the open court. I think that's a good spot for him. And then, let's see, John Collins' minutes, they just haven't been there recently. Uh, they're, they've been restricting him since he came back 19 minutes, 24-17. And Budenholzer said he's going to keep starting Miles Plumley because he wants to limit Collins' minutes, and then he just likes the matchup better with Plumley coming off the bench. So I really think the only guy to play here is Dennis Schroeder. Well, if we do hear that Collins will have either less of a restriction or no restriction, I think he is a really strong play for his price, but that doesn't seem like it'll be the case. Um, I'm also surprised that you didn't mention Miles Turner. I feel like this is the first Pacers game all season where his name wasn't said, so I'll just say it I, now. I stopped, I stopped rostering him a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I feel like we were just throwing his name out there, like maybe we'll consider him, maybe we won't, but we were at least talking about him even when we weren't rostering him. Uh, it does seem like he's playing less minutes, and he just he just hasn't done he hasn't had the breakout that we kind of thought he would have. Um, I don't know. There's nothing to really do with that situation, the, the though. Use, the usage just hasn't been there for him. I mean, if you look at last year, he was playing with Paul George, who's a really high usage player, and Miles Turner at a 21% usage rating. So it just seemed to make sense. You take Paul George off the team, there's going to be more usage available to Miles Turner. Yes, they added Victor Oladipo, but Oladipo is not as high of a usage player as Paul George. But with that said, Miles Turner actually has a lower usage rating this year than he did last year. So his production has remained pretty much the same. So uh, he just he just hasn't had as big of a season as I thought he was going to. And even though this is a really strong matchup for him, I just think at 6,600, we could probably do better than him on the slate. And I just I don't think the usage is going up anytime soon. Yeah, I agree. And I do agree with you on Oladipo and Schroeder. One more guy to mention, and he's sort of been mentioned already. I guess it's kind of just someone with a really similar name. So Bojan Bogdanovic has been playing a lot more minutes recently. Uh, we, You already mentioned his brother Bogdan Bogdanovic. This is just a ridiculous situation that they have. Names that are their first name and their last name are almost equal, and then there's two of them. 
just really confusing. But I think both Bogdanoviches are in play for this slate just because of the minutes and there's a lot of upside with guys that shoot a lot of threes and it's just a good spot for the Pacers. So I think you could pair him with Oladipo and use them both with Schroeder and kind of a mini stack. But 5,500 is a little more than Bogdanovich has cost, but he's also playing 30, low 30s minutes per game. So I think it's a pretty decent value there. Yeah. um, Let me look at him real quick. Let's see. So those, I'm trying to figure out, like, why has he been playing more minutes? Is there any particular reason or, uh, I mean, his minutes haven't been, last few games, 28, 28, 26. Yeah, there was a stretch with a bunch of games in the mid to high 30s just before that. So I'm not sure if the downtick over the last three games is significant or maybe it just kind of, he just happened to play a few less, but. Since he was playing in the mid-30s just last week, I guess he could still be playing in the low-30s and just for whatever reason didn't play as much in the last couple of games. He wasn't shooting as well the last couple of games as he was last I'm week. I'm going to guess the reason he played more minutes was because Corey Joseph was out. Oh, and now yeah. that Corey Joseph is back, I'm going to assume that that's the reason he's playing less minutes. Yeah, that probably makes sense. Um, yeah. I, th- I think that that's reasonable. Maybe he's not as good of a play. I still think he'll play around 30 minutes because he has played in the high 20s the last couple of games, even with Corey Joseph there, but it's not quite as much upside as it was last week. All right, so moving on. Uh, this is a game that could have a lot of value. We have the Utah Jazz playing at the Oklahoma City Thunder. So both these teams are good defenses, but with that said, Utah Jazz without Gobert, no longer a good defense. And then the other thing for the Jazz Donovan Mitchell is questionable with a toe injury. It limited him to only playing like 18 minutes or something like that last game. And Derek Favors has missed the last couple games with a concussion. So there could be a lot of value here on Utah. If Favors is out, Ekpe Udo's price is up to 4300 now, so I don't really think he's that strong of a play. And then Joe Johnson would also probably draw a start. He's at 3800 I think that he's in play. And then the big thing here is that Donovan Mitchell uses up so much usage in the Utah offense that if he's out... It's just really hard. Like, they don't have players who can create their own shots on the team. So I'm just looking at their team and trying to figure out where the usage goes. And I'm I'm thinking a lot of it is going to be Rodney Hood and Joe Johnson. One of the reasons that also makes it tricky is because Joe Johnson has missed a lot of this, of this season. He's only played in a few games. So we can't just look at the numbers with Mitchell off the floor and assume that this is what the usage is going to be. Because the other thing also is with Mitchell off the floor – we would probably see that Derek Favors uses a lot of the usage, and he's also questionable. So we kind of have to see who's in or who's out. Uh, if Favors and Mitchell are both out, then I do think the strong plays are going to be Rodney Hood, Joe Ingles, and Joe Johnson, but still kind of a wait-and-see situation. And then from the OKC side of the game, let's see, what are their prices at? Just something also to keep in mind. Without Rudy Gobert, this is just not a good defense. The only way that they're limiting fantasy production at all is just by playing – at a below-average pace. Uh, Russell Westbrook at 11400 I am surprised that he's priced that highly. I still think he's in play, but not necessarily a, a super strong play. I thought there was a chance that we'd see Westbrook like around the 10000 range, but not the case. Paul George at $7,400. Um, I guess he's usable in this matchup. And then n- nobody else, really. I mean, there's most of this team doesn't do anything on offense. And Carmelo Anthony has been just god-awful this year. He is at 5,800, so I think a lot of people look at that and say, oh, Carmelo's a lot cheaper than he's been recently. 
but yeah, that's because he's scoring 25 fantasy points per game as a 7,000 player. So I don't think that he's worth the 5,800 price tag either. So there's a couple issues for the Jazz if um, if Derek Favors and Donovan Mitchell both don't play. The first one is a lot of blowout risk. This is a really bad Jazz team without Gobert. If they're also missing Mitchell, and then I guess if they're also missing Favors, there's not a lot of depth, and they really don't have anyone to score, like you said. So I'd be somewhat inclined to just fade the game completely because of the really high likelihood that they just don't keep the game close. But there would be so much value on cheap guys, like especially Joe Johnson. He's probably going to play mid to high 20s minutes anyway, even in a blowout. He's not going to need the fourth quarter to pick up all those extra minutes. He'll probably just be kind of scattered throughout the game in terms of the minutes he's playing. So it wouldn't affect him too much, and he's probably a good value at under 4,000 anyway. I think we can assume that his usage would go up. But guys like Ingles and Rodney Hood, I think you kind of need the game to stay reasonably close for them to do well. And it's a little bit of a concern. So maybe the optimal situation here in terms of value is that Mitchell sits but favors plays. And then the Jazz have a little bit better of a chance of keeping the game close. Uh, Ricky Rubio also, I think, would have to take on a lot more of the playmaking responsibility without Mitchell there. I think that's been the biggest reason why Rubio hasn't been that good this year is Mitchell's presence and just taking the ball handling a lot and a lot of shots from Mitchell. And Rubio just doesn't have the ball in his hands as much. So I guess he would probably be a good play too. And one thing that actually helps the Jazz a little bit is that Steven Adams is out. So it's a little bit worse defense from OKC. Maybe they can have a little bit better of a chance of staying in the game because Adams isn't there. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, to me, it's just the, the reason I would target this game would mostly be the Utah side because there'd just be a lot of value if those guys are out. So so would you use pay. Rubio there? That If you're using guys like Hood and maybe Ingles and I guess Joe Johnson, would you use Rubio with them? Because I would think like for, for them to do well, Rubio probably will have to pick up some assists also. I mean, if I would use Rubio if Mitchell is out. That's yeah, that's all I'm situation. saying. Yeah, that's the only situation I would use Rubio. Then I think he would be an okay, but not like a ridiculously strong play just because of the blowout risk. Yeah, 5100 also just seems like a really low price for him. I'm not sure if he's actually been that cheap. Uh, he's been actually around there for the last few games, but earlier in the season he was priced around 7000 which I guess now we could say was just way too high for him. But 5000 now with Mitchell out, this is probably when he should cost six or seven thousand because this is kind of the role that we thought he'd have at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I think the biggest thing at the beginning of the season was just we didn't expect Donovan Mitchell to be this good. He's, uh, I think, if you redid this NBA draft, probably Jason Tatum goes one and Donovan Mitchell goes two, which was certainly not something we would have thought at the beginning of the season. And Donovan Mitchell, his performance has really minimized the role of Ricky Rubio. So without Mitchell, then, yeah, I think you're right. Then we just expect Rubio to be the player that we thought he was going to be. So next game on the slate, we have the Lakers at the Rockets. This game also, ridiculous amount of blowout risk. The Rockets are just destroying everybody. It was funny, even last game, the Rockets were actually playing the Jazz. And Matt and I were texting during the game, and we were like, how, how is this game staying relatively competitive? And then all of a sudden, the Rockets were up 25 points. So the Rockets beat a lot of teams by a lot of points. They have not yet lost the game with Chris Paul active this year. And there's some goofiness on the Lakers because Contavious Caldwell-Pope has some kind of legal issue where he's not allowed to leave the state of California. So for the next month of games, if the Lakers are playing an away game 
that isn't in California, Contavious Caldwell Pope is not playing. So the last time Pope was out, Josh Hart started. So I'm going to assume Josh Hart starts again. He's priced all the way down at 3000 And the good thing about rostering Hart at the min price is he's going to play regardless of game situation. So if the game's competitive, Josh Hart's probably in the game. If the game's a blowout, Josh Hart is probably in the game. So I think Josh Hart is fine. And then there's some value, too, on either Julius Randle or Kyle Kuzma. Probably both have some value. But whichever one of them ends up starting in place of Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez rolled an ankle last game. He's expected to miss at least three weeks. We don't know what the Lakers' starting lineup is going to be. Uh, I do know that Larry Nance Jr. is going to be one of the starters. And then just who's starting along with them. It's going to be Kuzma or Randle. I think whichever one of them starts is going to be the preferred play uh, for me. And then from the Rockets' side of the game, I mean, Chris Paul, James Harden, Clint Capella, these guys are all fine GPP plays, but way too much risk for a cash game. The Rockets are 14-point favorites, probably even too low of a spread because of just how good they've been recently. And then also, I think the Lakers are just an overvalued team in general by Vegas and the public. The Lakers over-under before the season was 36.5, which is just ridiculously too high, in my opinion. So just kind of using that as a baseline, I think the Lakers tend to get too much love in the Vegas spreads most games. Well, one other guy in the Lakers to mention, I think, uh, and he put up a huge dub last time we were high on him, Jordan Clarkson, his minutes have been pretty inconsistent. So it seems like he doesn't play alongside Lonzo Ball really ever. The Lakers don't like to do that with those two guys. So even with Caldwell Pope out, it's not like Clarkson is going to play in the 30s and minutes necessarily. But because Lonzo Ball is going up against Chris Paul, I think we can pretty reasonably expect Lonzo Ball to have a bad game, and that should lead to more Clarkson minutes. I guess it definitely would lead to more Clarkson minutes if the game is a blowout and if Lonzo Ball is playing poorly. But Clarkson has a decent floor anyway. He should play, I don't know, 22 to 26 minutes regardless, and the Lakers are going to need some more usage from him because Caldwell Pope isn't there and maybe a little bit because Brooke Lopez isn't there, but mostly because of Caldwell Pope. So I think Clarkson's a safe play and potentially has a lot of upside if Lonzo Ball sees less minutes because Chris Paul just breaks him, essentially. Um, that would be obviously be GPP only because I do think that this entire game is GPP only. Uh, so would you go back to Clarkson or do you think you would just stick to guys like Hart and Randall? Uh, I won't use Clarkson, and here's why. His price has gone all the way up to 5600 which is actually the most expensive that he's been all season. And if the idea is, is oh, Chris Paul is going to destroy Lonzo Ball, so therefore Lonzo Ball is going to play less minutes, I don't like Jordan Clarkson going up against Chris Paul at an elevated price either. And the minutes, so Clarkson has now played 21 or less minutes in five of the Lakers' last seven games. So, I mean, the minutes is, I still think the minutes floor is really low for him. He only played 18 minutes last game, and there was a game against Philly last week where he only played 14 minutes. Like, there, there's a really good chance that we just don't see a lot of Jordan Clarkson. Well, Caldwell Pope played in both of those games, so I don't think those are that reasonable to cite for, for minutes floors. Like, I think he has to play 20-plus at the minimum. But the, the, the upside should come from if the game is actually a blowout then the Lakers lineup in the fourth quarter would probably be guys like Clarkson and Hart and Randall. So there would be some pretty strong correlation there for a blowout. This is a large slate though, so I don't think you have to reach that much. But if you're going to play Hart and Randall anyway, I think it does make sense to play Clarkson alongside them in some lineups. 
but I, I definitely Clarkson, I don't think Clarkson plays for them in garbage time now. I think he would have to just because of the lack of options that they have now. I mean, we we haven't seen a game yet where the Lakers have been getting blown out without having Kentavious Caldwell Pope active. So I guess we don't really know how that situation would unfold, who would be on the court. I would just assume Clarkson would be in the game over Lonzo Ball because Ball is the starter and Clarkson's the backup. Um, so let me look at Lonzo. Like, I think they just usually play Lonzo Ball. Like, they, they drafted Lonzo Ball second overall, and they want to get him as many minutes as possible. So I'm going to look at some of the games that have been blown out. Like, I would assume that he just usually plays more minutes in blowouts anyway. Um... Let's see. So opening night, they lost by 16. He still played 30 minutes. The other thing, too, is uh, they actually haven't really been involved in that many blowouts. Um, Yeah, the Lakers have actually been, I don't know what their full season numbers are. The Lakers have covered spreads pretty regularly. They've actually done it. Almost all of their games have been within... Almost all their games have been within 10 points. Yeah, they've covered the spread in four of their last five, and the one that they didn't cover uh, was an overtime game where they were an underdog, so they only didn't cover because of overtime. Um, I guess the Vegas over-under on their win total was too high, but the lines that are generally set for them for their games are usually too high also. They're usually underdogs by too much, at least based on the results. But I, I think this is the spot. I, the Rockets seem to be a little bit underrated, too. The Ro- they could easily beat the Lakers by 20-plus. Um, the line of 14 probably will go up because the Lakers are also depleted, and I think people kind of underestimate how much impact Brooke Lopez has. He's one of the Lakers' best players, even if they only play him half the game every night. All right. Next game, Orlando Magic at the Chicago Bulls. This is a pretty strong spot for both teams. For the Magic, we have Evan Fournier is out. Aaron Gordon's out again. So Alfred Payton's price has gone all the way down to 5600 He has been also very terrible recently. Except with that said, with all of those guys out and a really strong matchup, I, I think this is a good spot for for Alfred Payton. And then he also, he's had some tough matchups recently. They played against Portland. They played at Detroit. Um, let's see. And then they had some easy matchups that he also just didn't play well in. But 5600 is still pretty cheap for him. I think there's upside in this price. I like on the other side of him, Chris Dunn. I think that Chris Dunn and Alfred Payton make for a good point guard combination any lineups. Uh, Vucevic has been really good without Aaron Gordon, but 9400 I just kind of think is a fair price for him. Uh, Miritich's price has gone way up. Same with Jonathan Simmons. Uh, let's see, David Nawaba, has he been playing more minutes recently? Yeah, 35-26, but he's just still kind of whatever to me. I, I think that the two really strong plays here are Chris Dunn and Alfred Payton. Yeah, I think those are the two really strong plays too. Uh, for cheap value though, I think Jonathan Isaac is kind of interesting. He was a really good point-per-minute producer before he got hurt, and this is his second game back. He played 16 minutes in the first game, but... The Magic don't have a lot of bodies right now, so I think 20 or so minutes from Isaac at 3,400 should lead to him hitting value pretty easily. He could have a lot of upside there. Yeah, I I think that there is a chance he ends up starting for them. Uh, It's also depending on what kind of minutes restrictions you have, because first game back, they let him play 16 minutes, and he was a little bit restricted. But if if we're going to see, obviously, Fournier and and Aaron Gordon are already out, if Aaron Aflalo is also out, I, I think it's possible that we see... Jonathan Isaac start at power forward. If that's the case, he'd be a really strong value play. The uh, last thing to mention on this game, uh, are you surprised or did you think you'd ever see the Bulls as five and a half point favorites in a game this season? 
Well, they've won five games in a row, and I mean, maybe they're not so on, bad. I, no, they're definitely bad. Let <laughs> <laughs> me see who they. They have Bobby Portis back now, now, though. I think that that's made them kind of a the competent. Well, yeah, but Portis also. Yeah, it has more to do with. I mean, Miritich <laughs> is just. I, Miritich has been really good recently. Yeah, no, so that's, I know. That's helped them. And then let's see who are their wins against. They beat the Sixers, the Bucks, the Jazz, the Celtics, the Knicks, the Hornets. Some impr- uh, some impressive wins in there. Yeah, some also not as impressive wins. The Nets and the Magic. So they've <laughs> one, two, three, four. I think five, Chris Dunn has just been a lot better than we thought, and that's most yeah, of Chris the reason Dunn, Chris why Dunn's the Bulls have been good. I mean, like I mean, it's not like I'm looking at Chris Dunn saying like, oh, he's an All Star player or anything. But Chris Dunn looked like he didn't belong in the NBA this year, and now this year he's just he's just been helping them win basketball games. He's a good defender. He was a good defender last year, but he's also done much better making shots this year. He's shooting 44% from the field this year. He shot 37% from the field last year. So I think that's been the really big difference is Chris Dunn being able to finish at the rim because he's still not making three-pointers at a high clip, except being able to finish at the rim, which given how athletic he is, I think that that was something that was in the cards that he just didn't do it all last year, but he's one of the more improved players in the league so far this season. Uh, Next game on the slate is the... Detroit Pistons at Dallas Mavericks. We have Dennis Smith Jr. is currently questionable with the abductor strain. I'm going to assume he plays. They said he practiced in full, and afterwards he said he felt really good and didn't feel any pain in the groin at all. I still think that Smith Jr. comes back and is going to be a little bit restricted after missing a bunch of games. So even though 5000 is pretty cheap for him, without him seeing a full minutes load, I'm, I'm going to be off him. And then overall, I just think this game is going to be one to stay away from because both these teams – play at such slow pace that I think this is going to be one of the games with a uh, no over-under for it yet because of the Dennis Smith Jr. injury. But this one's probably going to be right around 200, and there's just not going to be a lot of possessions in this game. Yeah, I think it's an easy game to stay away from, too. The one guy who's been kind of interesting as a punt play for Dallas is Maxi Kleber, but his price has gone up to 4000 I think there's going to be better value plays on the slate. He's gotten a little pricey, and I think we can just do better elsewhere. All right, Minnesota Timberwolves at the Denver Nuggets for the Timberwolves. Uh, this is a, a good matchup for them. Uh, the two guys to target, it's Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns. That's where all the production comes from now. Towns and Butler, both big usage ratings, and then nobody else has really been producing a whole ton. Um, maybe Jeff T gets 6,100 just because the Nuggets are so bad against point guards. But Teague's usage has been so low. I mean, 18, 17, 20, 18, 16, 22, 13, 13, 10% over the last handful of games. But I, I think the matchup makes him a GPP play from the Nuggets side of the game. Uh, Gary Harris is questionable. Emmanuel Moutier is currently listed as questionable, except Mike Malone said at practice today that he's doubtful. So I'm going to assume Moutier doesn't play. Gary Harris, I think, also has a real risk of not playing. Torrey Craig started the last couple games for the Nuggets. He played 30 minutes last game. So assuming Craig sticks in the starting lineup, I think that he's going to be a good punt play. It's just, I I can't imagine he's going to keep starting over Jokic. They've just been trying to bring Jokic back slowly from the ankle injury. So eventually Jokic is going to start. And when that does happen, he's a strong play at 8,100. But if Torrey Craig gets another start at 3,600, I think he's a good value play. Yeah, and then without Moutier there, I guess it's without Harris and without Moutier, 
it would seem like Jamal Murray is a much safer pick because one of the issues with him is there have been a few games this year where Moutier has just kind of played well for whatever reason off the bench and ended up playing a lot more minutes than expected, and Murray just doesn't see the court as much. Without that potential impact, then Murray probably just plays probably a lot of starters minutes and just doesn't come out really that much at all. So mid to high 30s minutes or whatever for Jamal Murray, I think that would make him a good play on top of, yeah, Torrey Craig, which is kind of a weird one. Uh, maybe Malik Beasley starts or just plays extra minutes too with the Nuggets having limited uh, guard depth. So he could be a decent play. But I, I think this is a game to just like a lot overall. We'll just have to see what is going on with Gary Harris and these other starting lineup situations. All right. The next game is the San Antonio Spurs, the Portland Trail Blazers. This game's a fade for me. Both these teams are good on defense. Uh, we do have for the Spurs... Parker being rested and Kawhi Leonard being rested, uh, but it's still just it's two top five defenses, and then also uh, Danny Green has been playing limited minutes due to groin injury, and I think that he's expected to play tomorrow and should get plenty of minutes. And then also Kyle Anderson has missed the last three weeks with a knee injury. He's expected to come back, so he's going to play some minutes. It's just still really a lot of guys in there, and a tough matchup. So I think easy enough to fade both sides of this game. Yeah, nothing to add here. I think this is a game that has either the lowest or probably one of the lowest totals. There's a few games we don't have Vegas lines for, but at 199, not a lot of scoring output here. Crowded minutes, so easy fade. All right, next game on the slate. Only a couple ones left, and we're into the late-night games. The Phoenix Suns at the Los Angeles Clippers. The Suns' minutes are just so hard to figure out. So they've played Isaiah Cannon, um, let's see, how many minutes? He's played 26 minutes in each of the last two games. He's shooting 60% from the field. Isaiah Cannon is like a negative 15% field goal shooter for his career. He's not going to keep shooting 60%. So Cannon, sure, maybe he plays minutes, but he's priced all the way up to 4,500 now. Uh, is that is that really correct? <laughs> 45, yes, 4,500 for Isaiah Cannon. That's really ridiculous for somebody who's playing 26 minutes off the bench and has a track record of being not good at basketball. It, it's just so hard to figure out the minutes for Phoenix. And even their front court minutes, they've kind of switched up who they rest or who they play amongst the big men of Len, Monroe, and Chandler. So I think if Monroe starts at 4,500, I think that he's a good play. I just don't know if he's going to start or not because it's just been such a confusing situation. I'll say it again, T.J. Warren is the most consistent source of minutes on the team. His usage rating is really high. He was fine last game. He scored 33 fantasy points in 32 minutes. Usage rating from the last few games, 28-24, 36, 32-32. Uh, he also shot 53% from the field last game. He's an efficient scorer, and that just wasn't the case for a few games. I think it's fluky. I think he's a fine play at 6,200. From the Clippers' side of the game, this is a really strong matchup. The Suns play at a fast pace. They're awful on defense. Lou Williams is a good play. DeAndre Jordan should get 30 million rebounds in this game. He's fine. And then even guys like Austin Rivers and Milos Teodosic, I think that they're in play because the Suns are bad on defense. I don't like Austin Rivers. He's arguably my least favorite player in the league. It doesn't matter. He plays a lot of minutes because his dad's the coach. Nepotism is a strong thing. So uh, Austin Rivers playing like 35 to 40 minutes against a bad defense, 5,700, he's fine. And then Taya Dosich this year is scoring uh, 21 fantasy points per game in 22 minutes. So I think that he's in play against a bad Suns defense as well. 
So Tyson Chandler being probably rested, I think that boosts DeAndre Jordan a little bit for rebounds, but DeAndre Jordan is a strong play almost every slate since Blake Griffin got hurt, and this is a really good matchup for the Clippers, like you said. So DeAndre Jordan, great spot for him. Uh, Wes Johnson is also out for the Clippers, so that might mean a few extra minutes for Lou Williams and Austin Rivers and Tia Dosic, but even if it doesn't mean extra minutes, those guys, like you said, are all strong value plays anyway. Um, but it could be a little bit stronger than we even think because there are just less guys on the Clippers to play without Wes Johnson there. All right, last game on the slate, Memphis Grizzlies at the Golden State Warriors. From the Memphis side of the game, I, I think that these guys, decent GPP, decent GPP plays in Tyreek Evans and Marcus Gasol. I don't think there's anybody else to really reach for in this matchup. And then from the Warriors side of the game, it, this is probably going to be a stay away for me. I know that Kevin Durant's been really good, except Draymond Green is questionable. It looks like he's a pretty good chance to play. That's going to take some role away from Kevin Durant. And then also just a really, stro- a really strong down pace matchup against the Grizzlies. Def- decent defensive team also play the slow pace. So I'm probably going to be off the Warriors for this matchup. Um, I'm just checking quickly before we move on on Jordan Bell and Omri Caspi as potential value plays. But Jordan Bell is priced at 4700 now, and Omri Caspi also at 4700 Even if Draymond Green sits, I don't think it's the best spot for those guys. Uh, they've both played a lot of minutes without Green there, but it isn't the best matchup against Memphis, down pace game. So I think they are usable if Green sits, but they're probably just better guys to use. And obviously if Green plays, then both of them are off the table. Okay, so that's going to finish the podcast. Uh, also, something exciting, late swap looks like it's kind of Starting to make a comeback. Well, FanDuel and DraftKings posted $50,000 GPPs for the slate for tomorrow. So, obviously, people have been demanding it, and here it is. So, fill those tournaments so that they keep going. I think if these fill relatively quickly, especially if they fill quicker than the bigger tournaments and the non-late swap, I think there's a good chance that we'll start to see some of these grow. So, I would definitely say go enter those. That'll finish today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GAaronBergDFS and Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense.